All right, we'll be back in John chapter 8. Uh, we'll look at one verse in John chapter 8. We actually looked at it last week. We're going to look at a lot of Bible verses today. And uh, so if you've got the Bible on your phone and you want to pull it up to flip through quicker, you can. If you want to flip through in your Bible, obviously that's fine. Or if you just want to listen, we'll read them all as well. That is fine as well. I believe this will be our last sermon in our sermon series on one. And we've looked at a number of different things over the last several uh, weeks. And uh, last week we preached on this verse in John chapter 8 and uh, verse 32. And uh, we talked about freedom last week. I, I will say this, that sermon last week uh, was as much a help to me as, it, as, as maybe any sermon that I've preached um, that's been a help to me. <laughs> so uh, that just preparing for the sermon, even preaching it, I, I listen back every week uh, to the sermons. It helps me try to get rid of annoying tics that I have or anything like that. Uh, but, uh, um, and listening to it again, it helped me as well. If you weren't able to be here last week, I hope that you'll listen to it. I don't know if it will be as big a help to you as it was me, um, but um, it really was a help to me, and, uh, and I hope that it will be to you as well. Today I want to come back to this verse and look at this thought of one truth. This verse says in John 8, verse 32, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Like I said, we focused last week on freedom, but this verse is more about the truth than it is the freedom. Because it brings it up twice in this verse, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Today's message is one that is, uh, it's, it's, it's on some sensitive topics, and uh, I have I've prayed hard, and uh, as, as I try with all my sermons to keep it strictly biblical and not opinion-based, and I believe that we've done that today, and I believe we do that on a regular basis. Um, but today I want us to talk about uh, one truth. Many today... Uh, uh, especially Christians, struggle with issues that are in society. Societal issues, cultural issues, and how to handle those issues in society. We're trying to be loving and we're trying to be kind towards people, yet people are telling us things that we know are not right. And they're sitting there and they're saying, you have to accept this because you're supposed to love me. You have to accept this and because if you don't, then you're not being Christianly towards me. Well, the Bible teaches us very clearly what truth is. And I believe if we know what the Bible says about these issues, it will help us then to have the boldness to stand against that which is wrong, but also the love to do it in the right way. And, uh, and I believe that, that we listen to an argument and, and uh, they believe, uh, or that we believe to be wrong, but then trying to love our neighbor or trying to love our family member or trying to love our friend, we begin to accept their arguments. Sometimes they have very, uh, what seems to be very logical arguments. And, uh, and suddenly we begin to get into that, that mentality of, well, maybe I should just let this go. Maybe I should just accept this as reality. But the Bible says there is truth here, and when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And so you have to stand on that truth. Freedom is a result of truth. And I believe that it's time that we Christians use the truth of the Bible to be free from the confusion we face because of culture and societal uh, issues that are in culture. Today we're going to look at two issues that are very prevalent in our current society. We're going to look at them from the Bible, and uh, we're going to ask God to help us uh, to handle these issues with love, with grace, uh, but ultimately with truth. And uh, I pray this morning this will help us. Lord, I pray for your help. 
as we touch on these topics that are sensitive in today's time. We're not here to argue. We're not trying to be uh, come across as angry Christians or Bible thumpers. But Lord, you say that the truth will set us free. And in a day where we are tied down, oftentimes we feel that way by society and, and cultural issues. Lord, I pray that today just a reminder of the truth of your word will help us to be free from feeling uh, trapped or feeling tied down. But God, to be free to, to speak your word uh, in love and truth and in grace, I pray. Help me as I present these verses. Lord, I want to do this clearly and correctly. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Two issues. I believe, um, at the very least, with our church members, I don't know everybody here today, but I believe with our church members, we'll agree on this. And so it's not going to be something that's going to challenge you to change your mind on an issue. But I, again, just want to bring the Bible uh, to the forefront here and help us so that when we are in conversations, if we're not having conversations with our coworkers, we're missing out. There's opportunities there. Our coworkers have questions. Um, I saw this the most when I worked with FedEx and uh, working closely with someone uh, over a long period of time. Every day you see the same person. Every day you talk to the same person. So you run out of the, of the how's the weather conversations pretty quickly in that situation. And before long, and the more they get to know about you and the more they understand who you are and what you're about, they will ask you questions about different things going on. When I worked at FedEx, I had a coworker. Uh, he was 19, and he worked across the line from me, and we talked for, for anywhere for five hours to three hours, however long we were there that day. And, uh, and he began to ask me questions. We talked about race. We talked about guns. Uh, we talked about politics. We talked about uh, um, uh, 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 Christianity and church and different things that go on in different churches and things that he's seen and things that he's been told and things like that. And these are the conversations that if we'll talk to people, we're actually going to have these conversations. Sometimes, again, we get afraid to get into conversations about anything that's, that's today a hard-button issue for people. And uh, because we're afraid of, number one, what they'll say, number two, how they'll take what we say, and then number three, uh, uh, how we come across. We don't want to be that angry, yelling, and screaming person. We just want to have, we're, we're willing to have the conversation. We should be. Um, we shouldn't be willing to, to argue about it. Uh, we live in a free country where you're allowed to speak your mind. How long that'll last, I don't know. But for now, that's, that's how we are. And we should be able to have conversations with people who disagree with us in, in a manner that is pleasing to God. There's just no reason for us to sit here and scream at each other. I can share with someone the truth of the Bible, and they don't have to accept it. Um, when it comes to eternity, they do. But when it comes to today in our country, they don't have to. If they don't want to accept what I'm giving them, they do, they're not required to do so. But I should be able to share with them, and this is why we've got to keep it biblical. If we start going off on opinions, they're going to find gaps in your opinion. They're going to find uh, logic that isn't in your opinion that is in theirs. And all of a sudden, we're going to look like fools. If we'll just stick to the Bible, which means we have to know the Bible. If we'll just stick to the Bible... And we can say, this is what I believe, and I believe it because the Bible says it, and this is where the Bible says it. Then if they disagree with you, that's, that they're allowed to do that, but they can't scream and argue too much because you have God's Word in front of you. And at the end of the day, if you're confident in what the Bible says, and you know what the Bible says, then, then at the most you're going to leave heartbroken because they didn't accept what, the truth that you gave them. But you're not going to leave looking like a fool. 
And so the two topics I want to talk about today, let's start with number one. Um, this one is definitely a hot button issue in our country right now, really across the globe. But there's one truth about love. There's one truth about love, and I want to talk specifically about relationships when we're talking about love. There is a phrase that I hear um, often. I've heard it within my family. I've heard it within friends of my family. And I hear it in society as well. I should be able to love or date or marry anyone I choose. That's the comment that I've received. And again, I, I, this, is, this is very personal to me. I've heard this within my family and, and with very close family friends. I should be able to love or date or marry anyone I please, anyone I choose. Well, I want to look at kind of two different things and lead it into what we all know it's coming to. But in, uh, first of all, uh, and for Christians, it says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, we won't turn there, you can if you want to, but I'm going to read it for you. It says, Be not unequally yoked together, excuse me, unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Now in this passage, in the context of this passage, it's not talking specifically about marriage, but I believe it is included within this. And you can argue with me if you'd like to about it, but I don't think that I'm going to change my mind on this. I've read the passage, I've studied it, and although the context is not directly related to marriage, I believe marriage is included within this conversation. And here it says, "...be ye not unequally yoked with unbelievers." It's talking about, uh, in the context, fellowship, I believe, uh, with Christians and non-Christians, believers and non-believers. Because what happens is, is we get influenced wrongly. Um, we tell kids all the time, be careful what friends you have. As a parent, we see kids and, and we see the, our kids talking with other kids and we watch those kids and all of a sudden we kind of go, you know, I don't think I want you to hang around with that child. They speak in a way I don't want you to speak, and if you hang around with them, you'll start speaking that way. They treat people in a way I don't think you should treat people, and ultimately I think it's going to influence you for the bad. So where our younger children, we go, you need to stay away from those kids. And that's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to, to, to tell kids, don't play with that kid, or, or uh, you know, that kid says, hey, come over to my house and play. Uh, sorry, we've got something going on. Um, you can't make it. Uh, whatever it is. But as we age and as we continue to get older, it continues on where God says, be cautious, be aware, be ye not unequally yoked with unbelievers. That's not that we can avoid unbelievers at all costs. We should not avoid unbelievers at all costs. We work with them on a regular basis. Um, we should be out in our neighborhoods, uh, making friends with our neighbors and, and, and getting to know our neighbors, helping our neighbors, all those kinds of things. And whether they're believers or not, it does not mean that we cannot have dinner with them. It does not mean that we cannot invite them over to our house. It does not mean that we cannot share the gospel with them. We obviously should be doing those things. But God says, be ye not unequally yoked together, that, that uh, tight fellowship with unbelievers. Why? Because it is harmful for you. It's protection for the Christian. And God is saying, as you tell your children, uh, you shouldn't hang around that person. God is saying the same thing to you. You should not hang around that person. Again, uh, our closest friends, I believe, should be Christians. Uh, we need to be aware, if, if the friends we hang out with, um, they every week are, are, are getting together uh, to play cards and drink, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to tempt you. It's going to lead you to go a direction you shouldn't go. Um, we're not talking about playing cards today. I, I, I don't believe it's wrong to play with cards. 
believe it's wrong to gamble, but uh, nonetheless, we won't get too far into that. That'll take us down a, a deep path that we're not ready for today. Uh, but uh, we're, if we start hanging around with people where, where all the time what we're hanging around with is, is the lost, the unbelievers, and those that live a lifestyle that proves their unbelief. God says, don't be yoked with them. As well with that, as I said, is covered in marriage. A believer, a Christian, should not marry an unbeliever, should not marry a non-Christian. Um, you hear people say, and it's true, they say this. I've heard preachers say this for years, and I've heard it as a pastor as well. I know a girl talking. I know he's not saved, but I believe that once we're married and, and I can get him to go to church and all these kind of things, it's, God says, don't yoke yourself unequally. A believer with a non-believer. In the Old Testament, we watch as God tells the Israelites not to uh, uh, intermarry with the other nations. The other nations were idolatrous and they were wicked. And what the Israelites did is they did exactly what God told them not to do. And what it did is it drew them down a long storied uh, uh, history of idolatry and wickedness and rebellion against God. And although I know people who were, uh, one was saved and one was lost and they got married and ultimately the other spouse got saved and we rejoice over that, God says that is a dangerous path and it's one that you should avoid. We don't have very many people, so I won't talk specifically about it today, about dating. But, uh, but be aware of that and don't fall into that trap of, well, he's a good person or she's a good person. And, and I'm sure over time, it's, God says don't do it, stay away from it. Uh, not only that, but God says that uh, I ordained marriage. God did. God said, I'm the one that made marriage what it is. I'm the one that defined marriage and, uh, and ultimately what marriage holds. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2 uh, and Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, God had created everything that is in the earth. And then in chapter 2, verse number 20, it says that Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found an help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Now you've heard this before if you've been in church for any amount of time. And although it's true, I don't know um, how much it, it, it holds in arguments outside of the church. But God didn't create, He created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Okay, that's true. <laughs> and, and, and here in this passage, it relates to that as it says in verse 24, A man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two of them shall be one flesh. God created man and woman, and He created, and I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to backtrack on it, so, so bear with me for a second. He created man and he created woman for the purpose of marriage. Now, saying that doesn't mean that every man and every woman has to be married, but it does mean that a man should not marry a man and that a woman should not marry a woman. And so God created man and woman. He created woman to be a helpmeet to Adam. He created Eve for the purpose of completing Adam, being a helpmeet, coming alongside and, and, and completing him 
for the purpose that God had for them. God speaks about adultery and fornication, those who do marital acts when they are not married. But God says in Hebrews 13 verse 4 that marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. And so there are things that God created, and He created marriage, He ordained marriage, and then He made things that are okay within marriage that are not okay outside of marriage. And God says this is what love is supposed to be. The, the Bible uses uh, the original uh, uh, languages, use different words for our English word love to show different kinds of love. But God, when we're talking about the love that we're arguing about in culture today, we're talking about this intimate love that, that is God has ordained for a man and a woman within marriage. And many people today, and it goes far beyond homosexuality, many people today have taken the love that God has made for marriage and abused it in many different ways. I had someone who was, uh, I say arguing, we weren't arguing, but someone who was conversing with me about the importance of the fact that she should be able to love whoever she wants to love. And I love this person, and even though it doesn't line up with what you think, I should be allowed to love this person. And I came back to her with this thought. Even if that were true, the two of you are living together right now, and you're living a life that is wrong, clearly, in the Bible. You see, oftentimes we have people yelling about love, 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 and I should be able to love, and I should be allowed to marry this person, but you're not married to that person, and you're still living a life that is wrong, as defined in the Bible as adultery. It's still wrong. Even if it was okay for you to marry this person, and it's not, and we'll get to that in a moment, even if it was okay by God for you to marry this person, you're still living what is wrong. And we can look at many people uh, who live a life that is straight, and yet still they live it immorally, inappropriately, sinfully. It's still wrong. Uh, we get sometimes so caught up in the argument about love that we immediately go, what we're talking about today, uh, to a homosexual lifestyle. And we immediately go to that argument, but we fail to remember that the porn industry is booming millions of dollars. That there are marriages that fall apart nearly every day because of a husband being unfaithful to a wife or a wife being unfaithful to a husband. And we have college students who are living recklessly. We have high school students who are living recklessly. And sadly, it's getting younger and younger in our society today. There's so much sinful, uh, uh, sexual sins going on in our society today. It is just rampant. And it's not new. It's happened all throughout history. As we read in the Bible and we see it in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament, idolatry was rampant, but so was sexual sin just rampant across society. For years and decades and centuries it's been so. And we have to understand that the Bible defines love, intimate love, as being ordained for a man and a woman within the bounds of marriage. And anything done outside of marriage is wrong. Anything done between a man and a man is wrong. Anything done between a woman and a woman is wrong. God ordained it to be so as one man and one woman. Look with me in Mark chapter 10. It continues on this. But Mark chapter 10. I like to use Old and New Testament when we're looking at this because some people will argue, ah, that's just an Old Testament thing. No. No, it's not. It's a biblical thing. And even if it were just in the Old Testament, as long as we're studying context, it'd still be true. Mark chapter 10, look in verse number 6. It says, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. This is important. 
again, because we're going <clears throat> we're gonna to have these arguments with people or these conversations with people. And we've got to stick to the Bible. Because I guarantee you, if you go away from the Bible, they're going to find holes. And they're going to be able to, to, to make us look foolish. So we stick to the Bible. The Bible says in Mark chapter 10, verse 6, that in the beginning, from the beginning, God made them male and he made them female. For this cause shall a man, we just read this in Genesis, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. This is crucial when it talks about marriage and the importance of the marriage relationship. That's not what we're talking about today. This is important. They become one. They're not two anymore. <clears throat> Verse 9, What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Let me say this, God put together a man and a woman, let no man put it asunder. Don't change it. Don't, don't, don't uh, tear it apart. Don't redefine it. It's the way that God ordained it. Verse 10, and, the, and in the house of His disciples, I'm sorry, no, verse 9 is where I wanted to end. Yeah, verse 9 is where I wanted to end on that. Uh, uh, no, it's not. Verse number 10. Jump down to verse... No, it is. I'm done. Sorry. Uh, I'm looking at two different things in my notes. Uh, God created man and woman for the purpose of marriage, and He ordained it that way. And today, many in society are trying to change that. In Leviticus 20, verse 13, Old Testament, uh, we've got to understand this. Number one, homosexuality, um, well now it's so much more than that, is a sin. It's defined as so in the Bible, and that's what we're getting ready to look at. So you have to believe the Bible to be true, and if you do, then, then any conversation that we're talking about this lifestyle, it starts with a very simple fact it's wrong. It's not about feelings. It's about truth. The truth will set you free. And the truth is, the lifestyle is sinful. Uh, Leviticus uh, in chapter uh, 20, verse 13, If a man also lie with mankind, as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. We don't use the word abomination a whole lot anymore, but I think we understand what it means. God says if a man is with a man the same way he is with his wife, it's an abomination. It's wrong. It's sinful. It is disgusting. Romans chapter 1. Turn with me there if you will. Romans chapter 1. And, and these are important verses. Write them down if you don't know them already. Write these passages down. Go back and look for yourself when you have more time to study through it. Know where these are in the Bible. Because this is important stuff. Because society... It's telling you, you're wrong. You're wrong. You have to accept this. The Bible says, no, it's wrong. We cannot accept it. And we'll talk about, and we've done this before, how we should, uh, um, how we should handle it in the right way. It's so, so, so crucial. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But we have to, number one, understand it is wrong. Romans 1 uh, look in verse 22. It says, Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man, and the birds and the four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, and who, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. 
For even their women did change their natural use into that which was against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust uh, uh, one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. God is here telling of, a, of an instance here where they were so corrupt and so wicked that He finally just gave them over to their own wicked ways. And part of their wicked ways were this. Women changed with their natural affection, and men changed what was natural as well. This is, a, this is key to understanding this topic. What is natural? What is the way it is intended to be? The easiest illustration, and the LGBT community did it for us, is with seat belts. Have you seen the picture? I don't know if you have or not. Uh, an airline was putting up a thing about equality. And they had a seat belt with the end that clips into the other end. And they showed that. Then they had another one that had the end that plugs in as well as another end that plugs in facing each other. And then two ends that you would plug in two next to each other. Out of those three pictures, only one of them works. And that was their argument. We love everybody. We're, we're, we equally, well, if you're in an airplane and you take two ends that are supposed to be for the same purpose and you set them in your lap, when the stewardess comes by and says, excuse me, sir, you need to buckle up. I am buckled. No, you're not. You need to buckle up. You need to use the other end. Okay, now the problem is, is in society is we're trying to be fluffy. <laughs> and God says, that doesn't make sense in any way, shape, or form. It's not natural. It's not the way it was intended. If you have an outlet, you have to have a certain end of the plug to plug into it. You can't use the same end to plug into each of them. Uh, same with microphone cords. Same with anything. It has to be what is natural. And here in their wickedness, they went against what was natural, and they begin to do their own thing. It even talks about later, and I don't remember if it's this passage or the next one we look at, um, that we're not, we were not going to read that, that part, but it even talks about, um, uh, even with animals. It's just unnatural. It's just wicked. It's not only homosexuality. There's more than just that in the world that is wicked. And that's sometimes where we get stuck on one topic when the reality is there's so much sin going on that we oftentimes forget about the other sins. And we look foolish because we're just harping and harping and harping on one sin when God says, well, wait a minute. What about what you looked on your phone today? Wait a minute. What about what you said at work the other day? Well, wait a minute. What about how you acted with that waiter or waitress the other day? Well, I didn't do anything wrong. It was inappropriate. Therefore, it was wrong. But with that, we're told in society, you've got to love us because we're allowed to love whoever we want. And yes, we are to love them, but again, biblically love them. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. 1 Corinthians and chapter 6. <clears throat> I want to state this too for the record. Uh, the other day on, uh, on a social, I guess it's social media, uh, a neighborhood networking app, uh, somebody asked a question about a church. 
someone else commented and they said, I don't think you want to go to that church. I just heard the other day the preacher speaking against someone's lifestyle. You probably want to go find a different church. If the Bible says it, the church better be preaching it. And if you're not going to go to a church that preaches the Bible, why waste your time? We live in a society that doesn't want to get told no. And listen, that's natural. None of us want to be told no. But we live in a society now that seems to be not getting told no very often. And because of that, it's being pushed on people. And they're trying to. They are, they are desperately trying to get this on the church where the church can't preach about things like this. There are bills, and they're not being passed. Thankfully, they're dead in the water. But there was a bill that was proposed that would take out the ability for a pass. It was proposed this year to Congress or Senate, one of the two, so that the church wouldn't be allowed to speak like this. And I'm thankful that our freedoms still hold up, but they're coming for them. And I'm not a doomsday preacher. You don't hear me talk like this often. I love our country. And I believe for years and years and years we're going to have great freedoms. But I'm telling you, there are people actively coming after the ability for us to speak truth. The truth will set us free. And when it comes to love, we have to understand that the world's view of love is wrong. 1 Corinthians 6, look in verse number 9. <clears throat> know ye not uh, that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, nor uh, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now listen, there's a long list of, of sins, and every single one of them is equally as important as the next. But included in this list, as it says at the end of verse 9, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. In the English, it's a phrase. In the Greek, it's one word. And it's the one that comes out, sodomites. And we see here that God says, included with other... Again, I'm not just saying this one. There are many other sins in here that are just as important, but today this is what we're talking about. And God says, and he's listing these, he says at the beginning of verse uh, 9, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Sinners. Sinners can't go to heaven. That's why Christ died on the cross. Because it says in verse number 11, some of you were these things, but you've been washed. Any person, any Christian, who has the gall to say that a homosexual can't get to heaven. <laughs> I say, you better hope they can. Because a judgmental egotist like you can't get to heaven either. You see, it's not our job to judge who does and doesn't get to heaven. The truth will set us free and will set them free. It is our job to proclaim the truth. And let God work in their hearts. And let God change them. And here the Bible clearly states in 1 Corinthians and Romans and Leviticus and in many principles throughout Scripture, a homosexual lifestyle is sin. It is wrong. Another thing that they say is not only I should be able to love and marry whoever I want, we can clearly see in the Bible that that's not true. 
it also, they say, you, if you love me, you will accept me for who I am. This is where it gets hard. Because I believe oftentimes we do love these people dearly. And we're wanting to try to help and we're trying to, to come across in a way that's not judgmental. And we're trying to come across a way that is helpful and just trying to present the truth. And then they come back with an argument and says, well, if you love me, you'll accept me for who I am. And no matter how often you tell them, I do love you, I do love you, I do love you, but I cannot accept this because it is blatantly against what God says. The Bible tells us to love our neighbors, to love our enemies, to do good to those who hate you, uh, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. John 13, 34 says, Love one another as I, God, Christ, have loved you. So now I take Christ, who is our ultimate example. And God says, love one another as I have loved you. Well, how has Christ loved me? God has never okayed sin, but yet He has loved millions of sinners. God has never accepted sin, yet He continued to love people. Look throughout just His life on this earth in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And see the multiple times where Christ had compassions on the multitude. Where Christ healed the sick. Where Christ taught and preached. Where there were people who were sinners. They have the woman at the well who was living in sin. And yet Christ loved her. Did Christ say, well, I'm glad that you're happy. No. He said, you're sinning. Get right. And she did. Christ never accepted sin. Christ never okayed sin. And people didn't always recognize God's love. Think about just the scene at the cross. And before the cross. Crucify Him. Crucify Him. As He's being crucified, people uh, divvying out His belongings at His feet. I'm sure there were still people in the crowd that were excited and cheering on this crucifixion. Yet He was doing it for them. Yet He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the kind of love we have to have for people. Because they're going to say, you don't love me because you don't accept me. And we're going to say, God, they're not, they're not getting it. I do love them. And we have to keep loving them. But we have to love them biblically. I always come back to this verse in Romans 13.10. Love is the fulfilling of the law. If you love someone, you help them do right. They may not see it as love, and sadly, many times they don't. But you help them do right. One more verse on this, and we'll go to the second point. You can't say I love you while you're yelling at someone. It just doesn't work. You can say it, and they won't accept it. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. If your message is right, but the way you're presenting it is wrong, they're just going to hear it as noise. I cannot stand when I see videos or pictures of people at a protesting a parade with signs that say you're going to hell.
people yelling and screaming. I have a really hard time with street preachers. I don't know that it's wrong to be a street preacher. I have friends that street preach. They stand out on the street corner and just preach as people are walking by. Uh, my, my experience with them, they've always come across as very rude. Uh, I'm sure there are some that do it fine in a fine way. But you've got people who are trying to, they're, they're seeking for love. They're telling you that. I should be able to love whoever I want. They're seeking for love. And there are Christians out there, and I think there are many of them out there who are trying to do it the right way. I do love you with all my heart, but the Bible says what you're doing is wrong. So I can't accept it. it over the last, goodness, 10 years, this has just been so real to us and our family and dealing with a relative and, and, and desperately making sure they know we still love you, we still love you, we still love you, we care about you. But there are certain things that we can't do and there are certain things that have to change because you've chosen this direction. Had we from the beginning just shut off relationship. There's no way that person would ever believe we loved them. And honestly, I think it would have proved that we didn't. But there were things that we had to cut off from that person. And they couldn't have the same kind of time with our children. And to this day, cannot have the same kind of time with our children as other people of the same relation do. And as our kids get older and we're able to have some conversations, maybe some of that can change. But at the end of the day, how you respond shows as much about your love as what you're saying. You can't say the right thing the wrong way and help people. There's all kinds of different styles of preaching. I've always grown up and similar to the way I preach, but in, for a while, for about four or five years, we were in a church uh, where the pastor, he, he was very loud when he preached, very loud. He yelled as he preached, and it was, it was, it was the whole sermon. And uh, guest preachers that would come in and be the same way, and, and some of them I could take because they had good content, and others, they were just screaming for whatever. I don't mean, they had nothing that they were saying. But there were times where that screaming and yelling needed to be a soft, compassionate voice to get across the message that was trying to be portrayed. We need to be aware of how we're presenting the truth because the Bible says that the truth will set us free. But you can't scream the truth at someone in anger and in hatred and expect them to accept it. It's just not going to happen. So there's one truth about love. There's a biblical way to love someone appropriately. You think about feelings. We're not going to get in. Might have to skip this point and come back to it next week. But Adam, or excuse me, Eve, she felt like she should eat that fruit. Did that mean it was right for her? No. Just because we feel like it's right doesn't make it right. The truth 
will set us free. I'm going to do this second point. We're going to move through it quickly. I believe we all understand this, and I believe we would all agree with this. I sure hope we do. Another societal issue that we're going through, and there's one truth about it, is the truth about life. Uh, Turn with me to Proverbs 6. This is important. This is crucial. Our society today has decided that life is no longer important, or at least the life of some. In Proverbs 6, look in verse number 16, the Bible says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. There's other things that it goes on to for sake of time. This is the point I wanted to get across, so we'll stop there. Verse 17, the shed, uh, hands that shed innocent blood. Is there anything more innocent than an unborn child? There's not, for the record. <laughs> the moment you're born, the innocence quickly fades away. God hates, that's a strong word, God hates hands that shed innocent blood. In Psalm 139, um, if you want to turn there, it's just a couple pages the other direction. Psalm 139, verse uh, 14. It says, I'll praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in the book all thy members were written, which in the continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. We see that uh, here the psalmist brings out the point of in secret. Uh, I think we're going to look at this verse in a moment. If we're not, I need to come back to it. Um, But it's uh, also in Psalms it says, In sin uh, I was conceived. And again, pointing to the fact that even at conception, uh, there is sinfulness. Every, Every person sins. And... And here the reminder of from the, the days of not even being thought of, to the days of conception, to the days of, of, of in the mother's womb, it is life. And anyone who takes that life, God hates. It says in Jeremiah 1, verses 4 and 5, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet of the nations. God here recognizing Jeremiah before he formed him in the belly. Luke 1, verse 41 and 44 is another example. It says, And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutations of Mary, Mary was pregnant with Christ, and was coming to visit Elizabeth. And when Mary came in, it says, uh, the babe, uh, Elizabeth's baby, John, uh, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, and she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? And for lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in the womb for joy. You can't tell me that that's not a being. The Bible shows examples. The Bible says that life is in the womb. There is life. I believe the Bible teaches, and it's an illustration about 
sin, but that life is in the blood. And my thought has always been just logically, and again, don't go there, but I'm going there anyhow. The heart's beating isn't their life. Because when the heart's not beating, there is no life. And the Bible teaches us that these, these children in the womb is life. And anyone who takes it, God hates. These two truths are important. The truth about love. The truth about life. And I say this, and I don't do this very often. We have a chance to make sure that our state goes in the right direction in these two matters. And that chance comes through our freedom to elect officials. We're coming up on an election pretty soon. And depending on who you vote for, because they stand on different, different on these two issues. I've told you many times, I don't, I don't like any politicians. I like some more than others. <laughs> I don't like any of them. I don't put my confidence in a politician. But when you're preparing for an election, I believe we should vote. When you're preparing for an election, you ought to vote morals. Which person is going to help our state go morally the right direction? Here we have a long way to go, especially when it comes on love in our state. Um, our, our mayor uh, was very proud of the fact and put out this week how proud um, our city, Lexington, is uh, when it comes to um, inclusion and uh, how, how far ahead we are when it comes to including the LGBT community compared to other cities across the country. We've been doing it for 20 years. We have a long way to go in our state in that matter, but I can tell you that there's a nominee that can help our, our state head the right direction and continue to head the right direction. When it comes to abortion and this, this matter of life, there are candidates on the ballot that will say, I will not stand for abortion. It will not happen under my watch. And there are other candidates who will do their best to make it prevalent once again. And I say this because it's an opportunity for us as Christians to make our voice heard, to be biblical in the matter, to make a difference in our state when it comes to the matter of love and it comes to the matter of life. It's biblical. The Bible teaches us about love and what's right and wrong. And the Bible teaches us about life and what is right and wrong. And we can have conversations, and I think we should, with our coworkers, with our neighbors, our family members when it's necessary. But don't get up there and say, I'm for this and I'm against this, and you have a chance to make a difference and you just, eh, Maybe next time. Know what the Bible says. Believe the Bible to be truth. And the truth will set you free. Lord, I pray for your help. We do live in a wicked society. And although wicked societies are not new, it's our first time. It's our only time. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we have opportunities to, to have conversations and to share the truth of the Bible, not just the gospel, although that is the most important thing, but, Lord, other opportunities to share with people when they say, well, this just doesn't seem right, this doesn't feel right, we can go to the Bible and show them, but this is right. Lord, may we cling to the truth. 
God, I pray for wisdom and boldness. God, I pray that you'd help us that as we have these conversations, and Lord, as we study our Bible and do our devotions and we, we learn from your word that we have a better understanding and knowledge of these things, but Lord, help us as we then have conversations, help us to have the right spirit. We didn't spend a lot of time on that today, but Lord, help us to have the right spirit. Help us to speak the truth of the Bible. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have an impact in, in changing people's hearts, changing people's minds, changing people's lives. Lord, you say that you go with us as we go out and, and do the Great Commission. So Lord, as we present the gospel, we pray for your help in changing people. And God, as we try to help people from the Bible, uh, again, give us the knowledge and the wisdom we need to share uh, truth to those that we love and care about. And God, may we be able to see the change in their lives as well. Lord, I pray for our state and for our country. We are in a, an interesting spot in our lifetimes where people are actively trying and openly trying to go against the Bible. And God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, forgive us, forgive our country, forgive our state, forgive our city. God, help us to do our part where we need to, to stand boldly for your word. May we never go off of what we heard, but Lord, what we know. May we know your word better, I pray. Help us with that this week. I pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.